Hello everyone and thank you so much for joining us here today for a special ISACA live interview on an important topic impacting our global professional community right now, which is critical infrastructure security. I'm Chris Dimitriadis, ISACA's Chief Global Strategy Officer, and I'm here today with Nick Marinos, Managing Director of IT and Cybersecurity at the US Government Accountability Office, or GAO. It looks like we have many people joining us from all over the world today for this issue that's at the top of so many of our minds right now. So let's get started. Nick, uh, welcome. Thanks so much, Chris. Thanks for having me. It's our privilege, Nick. Thanks for joining. So you have an impressive career, Nick, starting as an IT specialist at the GAO back in 2002 and becoming the managing director of IT and cybersecurity issues at GAO. Can you tell us briefly about what you do in your role at the US GAO right now? I'd be happy to, Chris. So maybe just a step back to inform folks of what GAO is all about itself. GAO is an independent agency that serves the United States Congress. So it operates within the legislative branch of the United States government. And our, our calling is to essentially follow the tax dollar. Any money that the government is spending on programs across uh, any topic you can imagine, GAO um, tends to be performing audits, both performance audits and financial audits. My team, the IT and cybersecurity team, has evolved over the last two decades to focus uh, not only on improving the way that IT dollars are spent within federal agencies, which can include looking at modernization efforts, efforts to replace legacy systems and, and associated programs you know, to that effect, but also looking at how those programs are being protected from cyber attacks. Our effort has also grown as cyber threats have continued to, to evolve themselves to looking also at how the federal government interfaces with the private sector uh, when it comes to protecting our most critical infrastructure, as we're going to talk about today. So my role as a managing director is to, 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 um, to lead a team of almost 200 individuals that uh, range from very technical experts to individuals that are more general analysts as we take on the, the audits that Congress requests us to do. That's, that's great, Nick, and uh, congratulations on the job. And I'm sure Thank it you. must be uh, very, very challenging and also uh, very important. So you speak a lot about critical infrastructure and their related attacks. I would like to ask as a first, let's say, question on the topic from your perspective, how much higher is the risk of these types of attacks now compared to maybe earlier this year or maybe last year? It's, it continues to, to increase in, in um, the likelihood of attack and the severity of those attacks. We've seen, um, as I mentioned, over sort of the two decades of evolution that I've seen it as, as a GAO employee, the, the reality is that there's a greater emphasis on trying to figure out two sort of key things to, that can come out of a cyber attack. One could be to steal sensitive information that then could be used for financial gain, and the other is to disrupt operations. So when you think about critical infrastructure, and when we talk about critical infrastructure, we're talking about the things that keep our daily lives normal. So one of the most significant one would be power or the electricity grid, could be water, it could be our manufacturing facilities, as well as those things that rely on those important sectors. So those could be our financial services sector, our educational system, you know, our, our local and state governments operations themselves can be considered critical as well. So when you start to think about the disruption of those operations, you really are talking about not only the potential for us to, to have sort of inconvenience affecting our lives, whether it could be that we may not be able to access a, an important government service, but lives could be at stake as well. If, for example, 
critical infrastructure attacks um, were to uh, attack the healthcare sector and make it more difficult for critical care to be provided at hospitals uh, within a respective country. So it's it's been really alarming and concerning to see you know many of the attacks that we've seen over the last couple of years start to target some of these critical operations. And the more we depend on digital technologies, um, the more risks introduced, especially with emerging technologies, I guess. So uh, very well said, Nick, and, and very interesting points. I believe it's also important to recognize the issues occurring right now. The world is uh, occupied with uh, the Ukraine crisis. Uh, we read this, uh, all the news, um, you know, uh, on a daily basis. And uh, by the way, our thoughts go out to our members and professional community there. We have to recognize that initial cyber attacks were mostly impacting Ukraine. Uh, would you say that governments and companies in all countries, in other countries, are uh, at an increased risk of cyber attacks on their infrastructure as well? I would say so. Based on on the accounts that we've seen within the United States government, we have even seen President Biden put out an executive order aimed at encouraging private sector companies and and essentially everyone across our nation to really ratchet up their their vigilance when it comes to cyber uh, protections. We're not alone. Obviously, the entire world has had to to confront the realities that um, you know if systems are not uh, appropriately protected, they are going to inherently be at risk. Some of the issues, as you point out, Chris, you know, of our sort of in- increased interconnection, our increased reliance on technology also makes it much, much harder, obviously, for those protectors to do their jobs. So thinking about those instances where perhaps some of those um, critical infrastructure sectors are being owned and operated by small companies, those small companies may not have the resources or the expertise to protect themselves. They may have to rely on third party uh, individuals to actually protect them. And once you start to do that, you increase the potential that a third party could be attacked and actually that could actually lead to the disruption in services for its customers, as we saw with, for example, the solar winds attack. So the reality is, yes, that there, that we're seeing an increase in, in the risk, not only obviously within Ukraine, but across the, the globe. And so, you know, my hope is that, um, you know, with it will come an increased effort for, for leaders to really take to heart the importance of investing in good cybersecurity practices in their organizations. Very well said, Nick, and um, a great point around the uh, supply chain uh, related attacks and, and risks. Um, and, and it's true that complexity increases as we see more complex, you know, um, ecosystems being built in order to as part of critical infrastructure. So that, that's that's a great, uh, a great point. Uh, at ISACA, we have recently released uh, the state of uh, cybersecurity research for this year and respondents ranked the cyber threats they have uh, the most concern about in order of the following. I mean, the top three cyber attacks identified related to social engineering, advanced uh, persistent threats, APTs, and uh, ransomware as well. Is there a certain cyber threat that worries you the most uh, right now? Is this list uh, like your top three as well? Or uh, how would you comment on that? I would say all of the above combined together just shows the complexity in in an individual whose responsibility is to protect their organization from cyber attacks. So just taking each of those you know, on their own, thinking about social engineering. Social engineering is a combination of uh, what can be a very technical attack, could be you know, trying to, to spoof a, uh, an email to make it look like something that is legitimately coming from an individual that you would trust and sort of encouraging either to click on a link or to open an attachment that then can exploit a vulnerability 
within your system. But social engineering can also be the longer game. It could mean an individual that really is actually picking up the phone, establishing a relationship with the individual, working relationship that may actually be false. And so that could lead to an individual being fooled into providing information that then could be used to gain a better effort into accessing systems within a respective organization. So the, the thing that I take away from just that example is the importance of education of every single individual in an organization, because it's really going to come down to the weakest link, which can often be an individual that may not be informed about some of these risks. Then you start to think about attacks that, that relate to ransomware, where a lot of those attacks that relate to ransomware come in through social engineering schemes that may appear like a phishing email, as I described in the first place. And so in, in those instances, it means that you know, uh, an organization may not be well positioned if they don't have good filtering tools or other technology at the front end to be able to prevent some of their users from potentially increasing the risk themselves. And so my concern is, is really that, ultimately knowing that it may come down to security awareness training that sometimes may be overlooked or sort of not really attended to by the organization to ensure that everyone is familiar with their responsibilities, all the way to then seeing complex attacks that can really lock down systems, not only disrupt operations, but can result in the, the loss of, uh, of very sensitive information as well. So education and awareness, very, very important. And uh, indeed, uh, as you say, Nick, we see an increase in sophistication, multiple uh, you know, root causes uh, as um, a result of you know, successful uh, cyber attacks and so on. Let me provide at this point maybe a few more uh, data from our state of cybersecurity research where we found that um, an all-time high of 82% of respondents say that they are confident in their cybersecurity team's ability to detect and respond to cyber threats. But the research was done just before this year's threats escalated. What do you think? I mean, do you think that most organizations are sufficiently prepared to defend against these uh, kinds of attacks? I mean, you you commented on it a little bit, but um, can you please share a few more insights around that? Do you believe that we are uh, you know adequ- adequately prepared? I think I think every individual's internal auditor or external auditor would would caution overconfidence from from organizations because we continually see time and time again that vulnerabilities continue to exist. And in fact, GAO has had cybersecurity on its government, federal government high risk list since 1997. So we've been reporting on this for, for over 25 years. And, and the reasons that we put this on the list back in the late 90s are things that are probably gonna still ring true today. And I even saw you know, one question that had come in related to workforce. Well, back in the 90s, the reason we put it on there was that we had found that eight that federal agencies in the United States did not have the expertise in-house to be able to ensure that they could confidently say that their protections are adequately in place, tested, and, and operating as, as needed. And part of that was that there was indeed a workforce shortage that we are continuing to see even increase exponentially over the last decade, you know, not only within the United States, but globally, that we need experts in cybersecurity to be able to, to install within organizations so that they can truly know whether they are protected or not. I'm not suggesting that those survey respondents shouldn't obviously put their faith within their cybersecurity professionals within the organization, because I think that is very important, um, especially if that leads to them listening to those individuals when it comes to things like awareness training and and small steps that can be taken to to fill some of those gaps um, that may exist. 
But the reality is that often agencies that may be overconfident may not know the whole picture. It may be that some of their automated scanning tools are not configured to actually scan the entire environment. As we saw, for example, with, with some of the, the entities that might have been attacked either through solar winds or prior attacks, you know, often it ends up being because they didn't know that there were servers that hadn't been accounted for when a patch needed to be implemented and rolled out. And so all of a sudden you've got servers that are you know, operating at a, an earlier version that haven't addressed security holes, and that can lead to disaster within an organization. For me, I think it's probably most important for individuals to, to make sure that if they are feeling confident about their, their protections, look no further than their local auditor to make sure that, that all issues are being accounted for because there's always a need for improvement because the threats continue to evolve themselves. Fully agree, fully agree, Nick. And I think that uh, it's about uh, you know having holistic approaches in cybersecurity. This is what we we call digital trust at ISACA, meaning that uh, you know the combination of uh, cybersecurity, uh, good practices, and expertise with uh, assurance, as you just brought forward, with um, risk management and with IT governance as well, in order to make sure that cyber is embedded into new projects as well, because you know organization change very frequently. They're not you know, static cases to, to study as far as cyber is concerned. And uh, having said that, uh, I see a comment here um, about governance and a question about um, uh, governance. Let me read it for you. Kaindana asks, uh, governance is a topic that is uh, um, at core of information security. How do you handle governance flows that can lead to serious problems for organization? You know, it, it, it sounds like a cliche to talk about it from a risk management perspective, but the reality is that when you think about cybersecurity threats, you're never going to be able to address all of them. So the most important thing is for those technical individuals that are really seeing the vulnerabilities, the gaps, maybe taking in information from their third-party assessors or from auditors to be able to then communicate that up to the decision makers, the people that are allocating funds, that are making broad organizational decisions to have appropriate information to make the right decision. And often that governance gap exists when that information flow is not going both ways. In other words, if, the, if leadership may not be fully informed about where the, the true and, and most significant risks are relative to cybersecurity, they may be allocating funds into the wrong places. So it really starts upfront in understanding what an organization's risk tolerance is. What are they willing to accept? And that comes back to, as you pointed out, digital trust. Digital trust does really emphasize, and I would say, you know, as an important step, understanding what are the important pieces of information within your organization? What are the critical operations that you cannot afford to see fall short of meeting your mission needs? If you can do that, then you can start to orient yourself towards putting the, the greatest amount of effort towards the most significant pieces. You know, one thing that I, I recall from an audit that we did about a decade ago was an organization was placing the, what they considered to be the most important account users or, or computer users in the organization as the executives within the agency. And while that is true, you know, those could be the most at risk for you know, very high profile attacks, you know, whether it be phishing attacks or, or likewise, the agency wasn't prioritizing the system administrators that actually had even greater access and authorities to, to make changes, to navigate through systems. And in, in reality, those are the individuals that really need to be accounted for too. A good governance structure is going to look and say across the board, where is our greatest risk and what can we tolerate? And then for that, that type of risk that we can't, how are we going to make sure that we mitigate the risk itself?
Absolutely, Nick. So um, I'm going to read a few comments and um, a few questions from the audience. First of all, I see that Greg earlier on commented that the workforce education is key. Uh, thank you. Um, thank you, Greg, uh, for agreeing on that. And he also added that um, not just annually, but, uh, you know, continuous education. This is very, very important. Then uh, we had a question from Kumar about Log4j. And um, uh, I think that uh, asking for, uh, you know, your experience from Log4j, maybe uh, having discussed about, you know, missions in um, uh, in audit or in cyber or in, or in risk or in IT governance. I think that Log4j is a threat that um, pointed to all of those domains, not just uh, cyber, but uh, what would you have to comment about that, uh, Nick? I'd say it's a good example also for, for those of us that are in the audit community to, to realize that we may have sort of our own set path for what we hope to accomplish with an audit. And right in the middle, all of a sudden, a major incident or event takes place within the organization. There are challenges there. One, it, it, it could be a benefit to us because we can see how an organization not only detects, but responds to particular incidents. So if it's a, it's a reality that you know, a vulnerability is identified and needs to be quick, quickly addressed, well, we can sort of step back and observe and see how the organization does its work. We also have an obligation to make sure that we don't get in the way of them taking those, those quick actions too. So there's a really important partnership between the auditor and the auditee to, to ensure that they can maintain their, their current operations. The other thing that I think too is that it, it is exactly a test of, of the governance structure itself because a log4j issue needs to be translated and explained to very non-technical leaders for them to fully understand not only what the complexity of the issue is, but what's the severity if it's not addressed too. So I think there often can be opportunities that come, unfortunately, from uh, attacks that are, that are occurring and perhaps may catch the attention of leadership to then take some of those preventative findings that come from auditors a little bit more seriously so they can try to avoid future incidents from occurring. And it's our job as well, Nick, I mean, as cyber or uh, audit or risk professionals to to explain that to upper management as well, because if we go with a list of, you know, log4j vulnerabilities, display them to, to, to upper or top management, I don't think we are going to be very successful. I mean, we need to interpret a little bit, you know, how this uh, relates to, uh, to the business and the possible um, impacts that it may cause as well. We have from Ian a question about the importance of cyber insurance and if uh, we see a trend uh, in, in insurance about increasing their exclusions on, uh, on policies and so on. Yeah, it's, it's quite an interesting market um, that is definitely trying to, to keep up with, uh, with the risk itself. Um, we've done work in the area of cyber insurance, just looking more broadly within the United States on, on trends within that area. So take a look at our website to, to find that, that uh, report. Um, but what we have found is, is that indeed people are seeking cyber insurance as one way to mitigate their risk. So that seems to be quite certain. At the same time, premiums can be a factor. And so that may result in, in, in someone being priced out of, of the protections that they think they could gain through cyber insurance. We've also seen threats or risks related to those insurance companies themselves, um, because the reality is that uh, an attacker might smartly realize that if they can track down the customer list of a cyber insurance company, they're likely to know who might be those individual companies that might be more inclined or likely to, to pay a ransom if they were held victim of a ransomware attack as well. I, I think it's going to take you know, about five to 10 years for it to really shake out sort of how insurance can be utilized to, to really reduce one's risk. And in particular, how governments across the world are going to factor in 
the, the appetite for seeing individuals pay ransoms as a way to, to mitigate an attack. The reality is that one could pay a ransom and not receive their information back from the attacker. You're really trusting the bad guy to really you know, honor the, the agreement that they've sort of established that if they get a certain amount of, of money or cryptocurrency that they're going to unlock or you know, not release information to the public, which we've also seen happen. So I think it, it's just one element within a broader governance structure that an agency or a or, or private company really needs to consider. And and that notion of trust is a, a fully agree, Nick. I mean, and you can't you can't also trust the adversary after lo- unlocking the data uh, about data integrity as well. Absolutely right, and and you and you've essentially also you know committed to to knowing that someone has been able to touch your data, so the integrity is an issue or that they may still hold on to that data. It doesn't mean that they're just gonna unlock the system and, and delete the, the information they may have collected too. So having to factor in those, those re- recovery efforts that ultimately come from a ransomware attack can be very complicated. And we've seen also that, you know, in reality, there are significant consequences, obviously for agencies or, or governments to, to not pay the ransom. We saw, for example, in Baltimore, a major city within the United States that was held ransom through a ransomware attack, it's government operations, were significantly shut down and resulted in, in millions of dollars of sort of effect to the way that the government operated when in effect the ransom had been quite small in the tune of, of tens of thousands that had been that had been called for. But at the end of the day, it's really hard to know whether a government would have done better to pay a ransom when it could likely still open themselves up to further attack. You mentioned on your survey advanced persistent threats as another of the, of the leading sort of concerns of individuals. And that's really important because an advanced persistent threat may be on your network and you may not know it for years. And so, you know, the reality is that a ransomware attack could hold you hostage for years to come without knowing. Uh, and the APTs are maybe uh, one of the most sophisticated and hard to detect attacks to, to a question by Yazid. I think we just you just answered that, uh, uh, Nick. Uh, we have another one from Kamathi about uh, guidance for critical infrastructure facing guidance to critical infrastructure organizations that are facing cyber incidents in terms of prioritization. And there are a number of, you know, good practices and standards out there. Uh, how do you prioritize, Nick? I mean, is, are, are those any standards or uh, what's the approach around critical infrastructure? Yeah, within the United States and, and within our respective work, well, we we turn to those what are now called sector risk management agencies within our government that are sort of the interface with the private sector to do is to encourage private sector organizations or critical infrastructure operators to take the NIST cybersecurity framework and related guidance and use that as a baseline to kind of figure out where do they need to improve. Having those five functions that help you to sort of identify, I said identify, that's one of the functions, but to figure out which one of those functions might be your weakest area so that you can invest effort but I'd say more broadly, and obviously to give kudos to ISACA too, frameworks like COVID also sort of just emphasize the fact that you need to think more universally about sort of reducing your IT risks. Some of those cyber risks can come from um, poor IT management practices that may relate to things like, you know, how quickly do you disable someone's account after they separate from the organization? Because that can often lead to someone being able to exploit a, an account that's sat out there although dormant, but available for months, if not years afterwards. And likewise, sort of thinking about, again, the, the importance of things like information security awareness training as, as one of the key pieces to a broader framework of effort. 
Excellent, uh, Nick, and great references. I would like to ask one final question about skills and capabilities uh, that are the most essential for teams to have in place to make sure that they are you know, as ready as possible for uh, such uh, threats in a critical infrastructure. So speaking about skills, uh, what's your point of view there, Nick? Yeah, and I'll try to connect it also to the supply chain issue because I think that is a really good example of what a big challenge it is to ensure that you have the right type of specialized skills within an organization. So I've, I've talked a lot about awareness training, which obviously can address some of the issues that, that may reside from users that may not be well informed about how to protect good cyber hygiene. But the reality is that you need specialized cybersecurity skills across all your C-suite organizations. So if you start to think about supply chain, which may relate more to acquiring technology or software from others, the procurement office or the acquisitions office needs to have individuals that are well informed as to what to look for within contracts before they're agreed upon. Or if an, an incident occurs, how do you hold the contractor accountable for meeting the, the expectations that are set forth in a contract for the base level of cybersecurity protections that you expect? Likewise, the human resources office or human capital office needs to have individuals that are savvy about cybersecurity. How can one go out and acquire cybersecurity talent if those within the human resource office don't know and understand what those needs truly are. So it, it really speaks to why it's, it's a all, all of organization effort that needs to be put in place to really try to address some of these gaps. With su supply chain in particular, it's a very, it's a very difficult issue. And it, it's one that will likely be a continued challenge for many years to come. It's one of the key aspects of why we continue to have cybersecurity on our government-wide high-risk list because we believe it's going to take a, a variety of efforts to really not only set some expectations, sort of some baseline expectations for those providers, so those that are creating the software, but also an awareness of who they're relying on, which can be often very difficult. So just you can't really protect what you don't know you're relying on. So understanding where those risks are um, may result in different acquisition decisions, but it's only as good as the information that you have to make your decision off of. Nick, thanks so much. Uh, I believe we're past the top of the hour and we're very respectful of your time. So at this point, I would like to thank you so much for joining us today. In light of our escalated cyber threats, ISACA has made several of its related resources free uh, of charge. So you can find them at the link uh, on your screen. All of you stay safe, have a great day, and thank you so much. Nick, thanks again so much for, for, uh, for joining us today. Thank you, Chris, and thanks to everyone that tuned in and, and asked such great questions as well. Appreciate it. Great discussion. Bye-bye.